Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I know and love, to talk about big industry events, and to talk about the events where these games are played. Now, 2020, right? Um, the last part of that statement of this podcast hasn't exactly been a hot topic in the last year, year and a half plus, uh, due to COVID. I mean, there haven't been a worldwide a lot of events to play games. Um, now, I did talk to uh, one or two people who have run uh, events here in Australia because we seem to be able to uh, run events in some cities occasionally now. Um, things are I mean, for us, we really do have very little to no COVID, which, you know, is we're just unbelievably lucky to be on an island. But ladies and gentlemen, there is an island off of our island. Uh, that one of our great states in Australia is actually even more remote than we are. And there, they've been playing bolt action. I mean, I don't think they ever stopped. Maybe they did for a little while. But recently, there was a full-blown regular bolt action event. In fact, it is probably the biggest bolt action event in Australia in the last 12 months. Um, and with us today, of course, is the TO for that. You might know him as that cuddly stuffed giraffe on all of the bolt action Facebook pages, uh, but I like to call him Russell, of course. I'm talking about Actar Welcome, or Actar Giraffe to be the full name. Welcome back to Cast Ice, man. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you, Brad. It's been been a long time since we last had a chat. I know. What, 2019? Yeah, 2019, just after we finished uh, Operation Sudlicht when we had the bacon burgers and a heap of foreigners fly in for it. That's right. That's right. And then 2020 hit and a lot of, a lot of people stopped traveling. Um, I guess the big question is, um, I did mention that you, of course, are in from, or I guess I didn't mention, you guys are in Tasmania. And in Tasmania, um, you guys were more removed from even mainland Australia. So when you locked down, your lockdown was much shorter than the rest of us. And then you got back to things pretty quickly. You were almost as low numbers, if not lower, than uh, New Zealand, which has been unbelievably low, uh, So slash non-existent. So what has that meant for bolt action in Tasmania? Because I, I see games. You guys are actually playing during the dark days of Melbourne's lockdowns, and we are, you know, nothing compared to the rest of the world. I saw plenty of game shots of you playing bolt action. What's it been like? Uh, well, it's been a surreal experience. The uh, rest of the world has been suffering, unfortunately, due to COVID. Mm. And um, we were unlucky in... March 2020, we mm -hmm. went into lockdown for four weeks, and then our leaders here decided just to shut the border to the rest of Australia and everyone else. Yeah. And four weeks later, we were pretty much COVID-free. We're now coming up on nearly a whole year without a community case, That's which is just unbelievable right? and unbelievably lucky. Yeah. So we were lucky enough that we were still able to hold bold action events Um and we're talking just doing a bit of hand sanitizer, not even wearing masks mm -hmm. in um, 2020. So we got two events off in 2020, luckily, towards the latter half. And this year is our first time that we've been allowing people back in from the mainland as well. Man, that is unbelievable. I mean, given that I believe we've had two cases in Melbourne in the last three weeks, um, we, we've been unbelievably lucky, but to, to think no new COVID cases or in the community, I should say, uh, in, in 12 months. Wow. That, that, that's crazy. Well, let's talk about some of those events though. So last year you ran two events. Uh, yes. and then of course we just ran one now. Um, yes. what kind of numbers are we talking just so people get an idea? I mean, Tasmania is fairly quote unquote remote from um, um, the mainland Australian population, but per capita, you guys have a lot of bolt action players. 
yeah, we have a, a lot of um, nerds and introverts generally, but yes. if people want a size comparison for the European listeners, the island's the size of Ireland with one-eighth of the population of Dublin spread all over it. Exactly. Um, so there's 500,000 people here, and so there's hardly anyone about, which has also helped with, um, unfortunately, the diseases that have been going around. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as the gaming goes, the gaming community is fairly close-knit, and we all speak to one another and let one another know what's going on where. So if there's another game system on, because we all seem to play cross-play systems, we have a Facebook group that designates dates in the calendar. Mm-hmm. So then everyone can attend as much as possible, which has been really good for the community as a whole. So um, in 2020, we had the second half in August, we had Operation Sublit, which is our usually our main event. We mm-hmm. had 16 players there because we still had some people that weren't willing to travel around. Mm-hmm. And then we had one in Hobart called Assault on Area 52, which is our the local hobby shop down there, and we ran right out of that. And we had 18 players at that one. Mate, I mean, just to have double-digit players in 2020 is amazing. And uh, speaking of Camp Liner that just happened, we had uh, 20 players initially, but we had one player drop out the last minute because the rules that we stipulate now, if you've got a cold, a cough, or a sniffle, you don't come. Right. And that has helped stop even the cold transmission around the island. So... um, so he was like, yeah, I'm not feeling 100%. And so he dropped out last minute in the morning. And so that ended up meaning that the poor old Norwegians had to be played. Mm-hmm. I was going to get to that shortly. So. <laughs> yeah. The Norwegian Gumby army. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But still, 20 players, man. I mean, that has to be a worldwide record for bolt action in, you know, since COVID has hit. And to, to have, again, you guys have always had a really high quality of terrain. Um, I mean, if you want to see some of the terrain, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with the the terrain that um, the Berwick family tends to rock out, uh, quite a lot of it was used in the Fortress Budapest book. Uh, you can see a lot of great stuff that they've done there uh, and other places, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, check out the Australian Bolt Action page. There's usually a couple of photos of the latest game going on there or um, my own page, the Democratically Elected Republic of Players, usually posting up battle reports and stuff on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, there's some uh, tutorials on how to go about it as well. So like, we're not keeping any secrets. We just love seeing good terrain because I think that makes your game more immersive. Exactly. Great terrain. But you guys have really nice armies on show. And then that, I mean, that really does make the the pictures come to life because you not only have great looking armies, people take their hobby seriously, but also uh, you you have just just the beautiful f- terrain for those armies to play out, and you often are able to historically match them. Now, unfortunately, when you came with your Norwegians to Melbourne in 2019 and we played a game, uh, I believe we played the uh, My Chinese versus Your Norwegians in the snow. It may not have been the most... It may have been in a desert. It was the no, most... Was, uh, it was in Sicily somewhere, wasn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> Super historical. Uh, but you guys do a much better job of lining things up. Uh, well, we just get lucky. Like, as I was saying, the, the community's got uh, been playing since version one. So there are a couple of stalwarts in the group that have multiple forces now, and they're all heading down the rabbit hole of, well, I made this. The game's easy to break. Everyone knows that, but I'm interested in this little piece of history, and they'll go out and they'll do all their research and they'll bring some gorgeous-looking forces that they've painted up and done the research on. They have a little blurb and a piece of paper there on why they've done it and that, and that makes my job of picking best-themed lists nearly impossible nowadays. (laughs) Yes, exactly, right? Oh, man. Well, uh, let's talk about some of those themes uh, because you've allowed some uh, listing options that a lot of people... Uh, don't allow in other countries, uh, and so I have so, I have some I have some questions. But first, I guess let's quickly say twelve hundred and fifty points for a three game event. Each round was two hours and thirty minutes. So with twelve hundred and fifty points, you have some points to play around, get some toys. Now you allowed either two generic infantry platoons. Or one generic infantry platoon with one tank platoon, 
or one generic platoon, or one tank platoon, or one generic infantry platoon, and one generic, get ready for this, kids, one generic anti-tank gun platoon. Um, so... For those of you not know, that's hidden in the Battle of France book. It is. Um, so let's talk about that. What did you see on the day? What What did armies generally show up as? I mean, I, I'm assuming you had a lot of just generic platoons, but what were some of the outliers? What were some of the more interesting lists that people took that maybe didn't look like your average bolt-action army? Uh, well, we had a SS2 platoon with uh, Stugriders. Oh, crazy. So, so that's... He took, he took three STUHs, mm-hmm. so he took three Stus. And then, because the rules were, if you took an armored platoon, even if you took an infantry platoon, everything had to be transported. Yeah. Now, there's a stipulation in our events that um, I don't think I've made it into the little players pack I sent through to you, but vehicles can't contest or capture objectives. Mm. So even though you take vehicle list, it makes it a lot harder for the objective-grabbing missions, which equals the playing field up when you're going against an infantry platoon against a tank platoon. Yeah. We also tr- always try to do Axis versus Allies unless we have some seriously skewed numbers. Yeah, and that would definitely help as well, just as far as how sort of the balance of the armies go rule-writing-wise, listing-wise, I suppose. Yeah, well, it means that everyone's on an equal footing. It means that if you come up against, uh, say, a high-count soft-skin army that has like eight or nine soft-skins in it, uh, you don't have to worry about that last turn of them racing on and contesting four of the objectives and only holding one in their back line. Right. Because we've all and, had that game. <laughs> yeah, we've all had that game. And it's it's just a quick, simple little rule change. And after the last six events, everyone's come to accept that that's the ruling. And um, it's cleared up a lot of the things on, oh, can I capture this with that? And it's like, no, you can't. Um, as for other interesting armies... Uh, we had the, I think it's the Ninth Armoured of the Italians. Oh, now I'm Anna. interested. Yep. Yeah, what do we got? Uh, well, they had uh, the Eritrea Division, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. The uh, Ram's Head logo. That's right. And, uh, yeah, they had all of their little tanks and uh, Lancia 9053 mounted up on the truck. And that was a very interesting looking tank platoon that came along. That's right. Um, there was a... U.S. reconnaissance platoon that was two Hellcats and a Sherman with supporting infantry. Mm-hmm. And the one that really stuck out was that there was a couple that did go down the anti-tank gun line option. Um, one was a Russian list that was an early Russian list that had uh, two A-19s as the AT guns. Yes, and the A-19, of course, is the massive gun it's absolutely uh, huge, but really isn't that powerful. Um, no, <laughs> it's a but it's but... a gun in game. Exactly. And it counts as a medium howitzer, but it's also uh, less than ideal. Exactly. So it always hits on a four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's minus one to hit, right? So uh, when people get all upset that, like, oh, because it's the gun that's in the IS 2. Um, yes. And so everyone goes, oh, that's, you know, such a great gun. Well, you know, but they always miss the fine print if it's minus one to hit. Yes. Uh, so when it starts on fours and makes it. Easy to hide in soft cover. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you got soft cover in range, you're on sixes. Yeah, I saw that list and went, ooh, and then I went, oh, wait, those are A19s. Yeah. Ah, that that actually looks like a lot of fun to play. And uh, the one that really stood out was a Luftwaffe Field Division defense line of an anti-air battery, pretty much, taking three 88s. Yeah. A Flak 43, mm-hmm. which is the heavy eight anti-air, and uh, took two flak veilings mounted on trucks with Luftwaffe Field Division infantry. Now, those, the infantry attached to that list, it's, I mean, that list is sort of eye-watering. When you look at it, that's a lot of big guns. Um, but the the infantry associated with that are just generally inexperienced, yeah? Uh, they're all inexperienced. And that was the thing is that when it comes to trying to hold an objective with a blob of inexperienced guys, when everything else is so static is probably what let that list down and its mobility. But the great equalizer for 
any list versus any list is your terrain. Yeah. So if that list had appeared in, say, a, like a Melbourne event um, or any of the other, like CanCon or any of those mm-hmm. on the mainland, uh, it would have wiped the table of most things because the boards are so open. Mm. And not just saying that that's like, unless it went into one of the city fight boards that you see. Um, whereas down here, we have a lot of hedgerows, a lot of fences and things like that. And the firing corridors, although there are some that go right across the board, they're few and far between. And always when you're laying out the terrain, you've got to make sure that yeah. if somebody's going to go up on that position, you give them the opportunity to be outflanked or to be um, having to have a gunfight off down the corridor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do have uh, we have some tables with some really tall hills uh, from a holdover from the old Warhammer days uh, that actually break up things nicely. But I definitely take your point. You guys definitely do go out of your way to break up line of sight more, especially for things like 88s, um, which are notoriously you know, high, so you can see further and over a lot of things. It's not like you're running a Hetzer platoon. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. So how did that list go? Because I I, I have lots of of questions. Um, Is that just running a generic? I mean, that isn't one of the special platoons out of a campaign book. That was just the general list. um, Generic anti-tank gun platoon it was. Yeah just one generic anti-tank gun platoon because that allowed you to take the three uh, 88s as your AT guns mm-hmm. because it falls into both slots. And it also allows you to take the anti-air option, which is a Flak 43, and allows you two anti-air vehicles as well. Oh, man, that's cool. It's cool. I, I don't I don't know how much I would love to face that. Um, just that many big guns is scary. But as you say, everything else is inexperienced. And are the big guns are regular, yes? Yes, they were regular yeah. with spotters. So um, they it did have it had the possibility to be make a huge mess, and and some games it did, mm-hmm. um, and other games that because of the layouts of the terrain and that and the tactics that other people employed it just made it a little bit harder for it to get off the ground. But all in all, I think they had a. Um, Three good games during the day. Brilliant. Yeah. And I think the missions also contributed to that. Um, yes. That you force people to, with the missions, you actually ask different things. So people have to actually uh, consider different tactics. Uh, and one army does not necessarily fit all unless it's very, very generalized. Um, I guess let's talk about that next. Um, what were the three missions that you ran? Because uh, they weren't just your standard out-of-the-book missions. Uh, no, we generally run our first mission on the day is a custom mission, whether that's pulled out of my hat of tricks that I've made up over time mm-hmm. or out of the old Bolt Action Alliance thing, um, mission pack that you guys did a long time ago. Yep. Uh, we used to do Heartbreak Ridge or Kitty Hawk Down and stuff like that. And as we've played more and more games in our shed, we've got more used to changing things up to see what we can come up with mm-hmm. instead. So the first mission was the custom one, which was called Strategic Points this time around. And uh, both armies are critically aware of the local strategic points in the vicinity. Now, this is a three objectives, but they have to be can be placed uh, no closer than nine inches from any table edge or any other objective. Nice. Nice bit of push and, in there, yeah, to, to yeah, spread things out. You only have to be within three inches of them to um, hold or capture or contest. Outflanking and reserves was allowed, mm-hmm. and you had a 12-inch deployment zone as nice. well. Now, so when both it's... players, um, when they depl- when you have the 12-inch deploy, I am looking at the mission, and I know I saw this, and it's you can deploy up to half, or is it deploy everything? Uh, you can deploy up to half if you want to. That's it. Um, if you want to go with units being set up in reserve and outflank, you can mm-hmm. with half of your army. But uh, if most players will find that uh, they probably might do one on outflank or one or two in reserve and put everything else down because it does give you that because there's a 12-inch worth of deployment, it can be critical to getting over to the other side of the table. Exactly. Now, another trick with our events is the scoring system. 
So you get 15 points for a win, 10 for a draw, 5 for a loss. And then there are five additional scoring opportunities. So what are those? Because I, I know that's something that has happened in the past. Um, I know that there is a, a pool that people can sort of get, um, as you say, those five. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. It is the kill the opponent's highest ranked officer, uh, keep your highest rank officer alive. If you kill your opponent's most expensive unit, um, if you keep your most expensive unit alive, and if you get one of yours within 12 of your opponent's table edge during the game. Yeah, that's it. And uh, those five points are critical in change- making whether or not you win overall or not. Yeah. And the other one that we do is a cost of war, mm. which is you add up at the end of the game all of the points value of your units that have been destroyed. And that's just for an administration thing. So then if I have people on the same amount of points, I can go, right, this guy's lost 129, this guy's lost 214. They can play off against one another. Mm, definitely. I mean, that... And that just that just makes that buy breaker and um, to the equaliser, really. So then you can say that, well, this guy's obviously having a really good run and isn't losing anything, and this guy's having a really good run, not losing much, so they can play one another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I guess that, I mean, it really does reward people who keeps who keep their forces intact and are able to dismantle their opponents. Um, have you, I, I, and I, I'm not trying to hot take you here or ask anything controversial, um, I know that way back in the day uh, in our Warhammer 40K uh, events, we used to run similar point structures, and um, I think it was also possibly people trying to game the system as much as humanly possible back in the day. But it, it really did encourage people to play aggressively, um, I guess, and, and to, to try and take things off. Um, have you had that experience? Or I think it, it may have been a mentality thing. Um, bolt action is generally a more friendly uh, happier environment, um, at least compared to the the local 40k scene. Um, and of course, I'm not speaking about 40k in general. There's wonderful uh, narrative events that people are having a great time doing. But I'm just talking about my event days. Have you seen that at all, or is it is it just one of those things that culturally isn't an issue? Um, culturally, hasn't ever been an issue. But this mm-hmm. is something that we've been running the whole time that we've been doing bold action events, and mm-hmm. that was to get people up and moving and stop the the turtle formations occurring yeah. in a corner and sitting there for the whole game and having the other guy have a bad game. It's to, it's an infantry based game, move your infantry around, have yeah. a bit of fun, roll some dice saying that there was only two games for the whole lot where the opponent was tabled, where they lost all 1250 points. Yeah. So that's also comes down to the terrain, the survivability of things. But yeah. most people were losing, like, if you lost, you lost over half, roughly, of mm-hmm. your force or more. Um, and if you won, you're losing 115 to 300 sort of things. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think I, I think you're right. I think terrain plays a big part of that. And it's also a different game system, obviously, than Warhammer 40K. Yes. Uh, but, you know, having seen some aggressive play, as you say, Bolt Action is a game that is wonderfully cinematic and tons of fun to play, but uh, is breakable, uh, as, as we have determined many times, if you want to play a certain way. Um, but if you have the right amount of terrain and you're running missions in a... And, and you do have a nice variety of missions here. I think it does uh, really mitigate that, right? Yes, yes, it does. As we go back onto the missions, the uh, second mission for the day. Perfect. Hit it. Was uh, key positions with a slight twist. I don't allow people to roll off for the objectives. We run it with five objectives. Nice. And that means that everyone's playing it exactly the same. So just whip open your book, main rule book, open it up to the relevant page, and you'll see that, Key positions is in there, and it says to roll D3 plus 2. Instead, it's just scratched out, and it just says this mission uses five objective markers yeah. instead. And, of course, after having two very tactically thinking, manoeuvring games of trying to hold positions, we finished the day off with good old No Man's Land, Scenario 1. Mm-hmm. And that also has a slight tweak in it. We just just remove preliminary bombardment because if one side gets it and the other side doesn't, it makes for a very unbalanced game. 
Preliminary bombardment's one of those rules that I always kind of forget exists because we generally don't use it, um, at least in the games that I've been playing with my opponents. Uh, and I think in version one, we played enough of it to go, yeah, this leads to a lot of feel-bads. Maybe oh. we shouldn't do this. The feel bads in version two aren't as bad as version one. And True. a lot of the reason why we all hated it so much was in version one when you got hit with uh, 2d6 hits. Mm -hmm. Whereas now it just hits a single figure. That's right. Instead. But still deals those pins out it's that it used pins. to. And mm -hmm. then you're just spending a game rallying your forces. And yes, thematically, great idea, great mission on its own when you're mucking around and that. But if you're trying to play in an event, or a tournament, and you're trying to get an equal playing field for both sides, you either give it to both opponents off the bat, or you just remove it from the game. And, of course, uh, No Man's Land does have the reduced visibility turn one, which everybody does. seems to forget. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. They go, oh, I'm going to fire my tank across the board, and you're like, oh, yeah, that nothing. Right, okay, that misses. Uh-huh. So just remember that there's 24-inch range on that first turn, which allows everyone to get up close and turn their brains off and shoot one another yeah. at the end of the day. Exactly, right? It is, I do love that about that mission, that you are forced to not stand and shoot the first round. You have to, I mean, it gives you the flexibility to be a little tactical with your deployment, before people, you know, sometimes people dig into certain positions and say, okay, I'm not going to give you these kill points. You have to come get me. Um, yes. And if you have the ability to redeploy and move around, it really does add the flexibility so you're not just turtling on both sides of the board trying to chipmunk one kill off of the opponent and not give up any yourself. Oh, it just ends up in a draw then, doesn't it? Yeah, because you need those. <laughs> you need to be two up to win, and then yes. people. And that's the other thing people seem to forget. And they're like, "Wait, I need to be two up." And you're like, yes, you can't just win by one in this mission. Uh, so you know, encouraging people to move around and make some tactical choices is always a good thing. So yeah, that is a great mission. I do enjoy playing that, even though it is a straight out of the book. Played it a million times. It's always a good time. Yeah, it's just one of those ones where you go, "Oh, yeah, let's just roll some dice. It's good fun for that." Nice. Well, okay, so we have our missions. We've talked about some of our armies. Um, what what kind of spread did you see in general of nations? Uh, I know that some of the podcasts uh, have been talking about what are some of the trends that people are seeing. Um, do, you, do you see any nation trends in Tasmania since you guys have been one of the few ecosystems that have been running in Bolt Action? Oh, well, we've seen... On the Axis side, we didn't see any Japanese players, but that's because the one that was bringing a Japanese army dropped out. The day of, yeah. On the day of it. But um, just a quick rundown. We had one Africa Corps platoon. Mm -hmm. We had a Fulcher Jaeger, 1944 Fulcher Jaeger platoon. There was the Luftwaffe defence line, which was interesting. The SS Stu's, a 44 German infantry, basic what you usually expect to see. Mm -hmm. It was a um, German mechanized force where he mounted, every, even though he didn't take a tank platoon, he mounted everything up in half tracks anyway. Awesome. And um, this might come as a surprise. I'll, I'll say that later on about that, actually. Um, then we had a lot of German forces for the Axis side, uh, but on the... The Allies side, we had one Soviet player with the A-19s. Mm -hmm. There was the 8th Armoured Tank Division cool. for the British in the desert, mm -hmm. which was a very interesting list as well. So, wait, what vehicles did that army take? Is that just uh, a lot of... A A-13 Crusaders and a Matilda too? Yeah, I was going to say Matildas. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I mean, those are some vehicles I just have never seen on a bolt-action tabletop. That's awesome. Yeah, it was... a. Uh, Quite, quite an amusing force to run around with. It was very, it looked great on the board on the day as well. And yeah. of course, I did the usual thing and made it fight the DAC first turn. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Operation Battle Axe occurred and they lost terribly. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, we had a British Paris platoon which turned up, which was fantastic. Uh, there was uh, our Fly in for the day, Aaron Russell, shout out to him, flying down from Queensland to come and roll mm -hmm. some dice. Nice. He brought uh, US paratroopers with a locust, mm -hmm. which I haven't seen since version one, because back wow. then when recce was, you could recce all the time. 
So it was good to see the Locust make a return to the tabletop. That's right. I haven't uh, seen one of those in ages. Uh, KFD. They, uh, they used to often be everywhere. Them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, there was a U.S. Rangers Army fully set up, all Rangers in the force. Uh, then there was another Soviet platoon that was based around um, Stalingrad. Mm-hmm. And what was, oh, there was a U.S. paratrooper list that took a also utilised the anti-tank gun platoon option to take the uh, M5AT guns. Oh right! With paras, so yeah. you had it all like all the parachute drop in, like it looked like a market garden list where they dropped in some reinforcements, and he didn't take a vehicle at all, and had just everything with paratrooper options. So yeah, it looked really good on the force. Oh, that sounds so, sensational. And then you had, of course, the uh, minor nations for the day, and this might sound as a surprise to everyone, but we had three Italian armies. Yes, now we're talking. Talk to talk us about my uh, my buddies in the de- yeah, in the desert because most of them were desert forces, weren't they? They were. Uh, one was Sicily based. That's and right. Two were desert based. Um, so th- we had one set with the uh, M14 tank, and it was mm-hmm. just a general um, Italian desert campaign mm-hmm. list. Had all the usual things and like. Kudos out to the guy for taking an Elephantino gun in his AT slot. Nice. Um, Nothing like a light AT gun in a, yeah. an event with a lot of tanks to make you go, yep, I got Oops. this. Yeah, all under control here. And then, of course, there was the uh, beautifully painted force that won best theme on the day, which was uh, the Desert Italians of Ian Griffin. Mm-hmm. Now, you did say that was uh, the... the, the Three RO truck with the big gun on the back. Was that yes. the big gun, the super heavy AT gun, or was that the medium howitzer? I'm getting my uh, number. It was the howitzer, right? No, no, that's the um, super heavy AT gun. Oh, it's the super heavy AT. That with yep. the stabilizer jacks. That yep. thing looks awesome. It's an awesome looking piece of um, equipment, mm-hmm. and uh, the Norwegians beat that, unfortunately. Oh, the shame. <laughs> Which is always a novelty. Um, so, yeah, the Norwegians got a run for the day as the Biobuster uh, faced off against some Germans and uh, won that game quite resoundingly. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and, then, and then beat the Desert Italians because people find it hard to remove nearly 44 veteran infantry backed up with a major. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about that for a second, <laughs> because this is this is one of those things that uh, is mentioned all the time on Bolt, Bolt Action Podcast. Oh, the Norwegians. Oh, we should play that. They don't have any options. They're going to lose all the time. I've faced Norwegians. I faced your Norwegians, and you do quite well with them. Now, obviously, you've practiced with them quite a bit, uh, but let's not, as you say... Uh, sniff at the fact that there are 44 veteran infantrymen on the board. Yes, they have rifles. Yes, there are LMGs. Yes, there's a mortar. Yes, there's a sniper. But you have all the basic tools, and it's backed up with veteran infantry. That is not the easiest army to face down, having faced it with an army that I'm very familiar with, the Chinese. And my Chinese also are not anything to sniff at. So um, I got to say, man, it's cool to see the Norwegians, A, getting on the table, but also, B, like, they're a real army. They really are. I mean, they're... They are. They've got their own unique style of play. You've got no anti-tank option. No. Even their light howitzer has no AT round. It has a plus one pen Mm. with its HE. So it's only cost 40 points, which is great, but... um... But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But you're relying on the medium mortar mm-hmm. to range in on a tank to try to do damage to it. And the only other option you've got is you have to purchase a forward artillery observer mm-hmm. as that's your only chance to shove some pins on some tanks to try to get mm-hmm. them to not move for a turn or two. Now, that, that list doesn't even have an anti-tank rifle from memory, right? No, no, that's it. Ooh, that's harsh. Uh, at least with my partisans, I had an anti-tank rifle. Um, yeah. Oh, mate, that that's not. 
Look, as said, it's not the easiest thing in the world, and you can see why people, uh, you know, like to say, "Oh, they don't have a chance." But again, veteran infantry, man, if you're playing a scenario-based game, um, sorry, uh, scenarios based on objectives, which most of the time in bolt action you do, even in kill points, it's hard to to drag them down uh, because they are veteran and they can get where they need to go, and they behave like infantry in the rest of the game. They are hardly a laughing stock, uh, and they're big squads. They're eleven men. Yes, yeah. you're taking an LMG, and it's not optimized to take like as much as possible, but that is because the limited range of the sculpts, which you spoke of mm-hmm. in your previous cast, they're all from Gorgon Studios. Beat me to it, yeah. Um, they're beautiful miniatures. Uh, if you are ordering from them and you are overseas, just be aware that you will be spending a lot of time straightening guns and carefully yeah. getting things out. They don't travel well in... Um, initial sendings so you end up with nearly every rifle bent and all those magical guns that fire around 90 degree corners <laughs> and, and not just the late war german ones no no so every nearly every single miniature in that was bent in some way when i got it i was a little disappointed but the cleanup was near nearly to none like it was yeah they were just brilliant and they look amazing on the tabletop. Gorgon really knocked it out of the park with that range. Uh, the only, you know, I think the only big gripe would be if they added maybe one or two more blisters for additional poses. But uh, man, they look sweet, right? Yes, they're they're great, and it's uh, one of those things you need to get him when he does a run, when he does a spin of his molds, because they sell out quickly. If yeah. you go to his website at the moment, I don't even think the um, Norwegian Rifle Pack one is available at the moment sold out and so he does it he does a couple of spins up and then waits until they're all sold and goes again because he is one man operation over there yeah which makes sense you know if uh, you you just have to do it and he sells all the ranges as well so yes and norwegians aren't always the ones that will sell off the shelves funny that (laughs) i would have thunk all right uh well let's talk about how uh how the event played out um clearly three games uh lots of historical games playing um, but of course, it is actually an event. It's a tournament. Um, who who were some of the big winners on the day? Um, what were some some big takeaways that you got as the TO watching the games? Because I think that's it's easy to sit behind a computer and be a TO and to not really watch what's going on. But you have always been out there. I mean, I get a very clear image of what your event is because you're spending so much time, you know, putting observations, uh, putting videos, to putting pictures. Um, online, so we all get to see it in the rest of the world, which is awesome for those of us who weren't able to have an event. But you really, in order to do that, you basically need to be at the tables all the time. Talk to us a little bit about um, how the event rolled out from your perspective as a TO. Um, We've gotten faster, I have to say, in our setups, um, in getting the general setup, because we do play in a school gymnasium, mm-hmm. and we're lucky there. We've got a massive projector screen that I've got access to, and we put up our wonderful sponsors' logos all up on there, so I'm going to give them a plug now. Please. With um, Andrew Carrop at the Warriors' Den, doing a fantastic job supporting the community once more and the Bold Action community as a whole. Uh, Ian and Co up at War and Peace Games are fabulous. Uh, Sander Vanderson sent um, some stuff from May 40 Miniatures, mm-hmm. uh, and we've got a couple of other bits and pieces of those still to um, support other events in Australia if anyone's interested. Got a couple of bits down here that he sent down, and um, uh, and of course, Viv at Knights of Dice. Can't forget mm-hmm. Viv and his fantastic terrain and his ongoing support of the community. Now they've just gone through a little bit of a change. They have. In his setup, Viv has gone back to being a one-man team, but he is still there for you and he will still be answering as soon as possible and getting on top of it and he will still have all of his fantastic ranging kits going on. Um, the other one, of course, is Rubicon Models. Mm-hmm. Um, they have just been brilliant in their support over the time uh, since... Just their 156 kits are fabulous. The, we're yeah. lucky enough. We got, we ended up with uh, two of the Tiger Twos that just came out as prizes. Oh, nice! Um, they, funnily enough, they got snubbed up pretty quickly um, with the full Maybach engine in the back of them. But they look great. Those kits look fantastic. They're a big box when you get it too. Oh, <laughs> um, yes. 
I saw one on the shelf not too long ago, and I was shocked at how big that box was. And just went, <laughs> that is a big tank. Um, and ironically, I got two of the uh, Rubicon uh, Sumo Vente, uh, is it 75, 18s? Uh, yes. Basically, their yes. version of the Stugs. I got two of them for more and Peace. And I opened the box, and I was like, or I got the box, and I went, this box looks really small. And then I opened it and went, oh, because they're nowhere near as big as that Tiger box I just saw. Nope. Uh, yeah, it, it is a big box uh, for a 156 scale. It is. The details are just going but in all modeling all around the world, no matter what scale you're doing, no matter what um, game you're playing, the, the quality and the crispness of sculpts and that is really lifting their game. And yeah. I think that has partly to play with the fact of uh, the increase in 3D printing and its mm -hmm. skills and the fact that the companies are like, people aren't going to accept below standard stuff anymore. Exactly. So now you're getting these beautiful plastic spin casks stuff. It's all gorgeous. Um, the blow mold injection technology has gone so far. Like mm -hmm. even you have a look at a small company that started and has already gone gangbusters in War Games Atlantic. I've got some of their oh, yeah, different... Right? Different pieces. Um, Their new partisans the look sensational. And yes, the the uh, um, poses are limited, and no, not all the weapon options are there. And no, it doesn't come with bases, so you have to go buy separate bases. Yeah, but, but plastic partisans, dude. And amazing. Yeah, yeah, and they're just quick glue them, glue them together. If you need to make forty partisans, you can make forty partisans. So like, yeah. Man, I wish I had that kit when I made my partisan army way back when. It was just, I was scrounging metal models from everywhere to try and make it. But, to, you know, if you can mix those plastics with some of the metals, I mean, you're laughing. There are just so yeah. many great games. Uh, sorry, great model ranges for this game that it's amazing. Yeah, so back to the organizing yes. side of it. It's, um, it's going pretty smoothly recently. Um we have a team of about four or five of us that set up on the night before. Mm -hmm. We get all the tables set up. Um, two to three weeks before that, we actually lay out all the terrain in the shed, take some photos of it, and we want it to look roughly like this. And then we shove all that in a box or a couple of boxes, and then you can just grab the boxes and go, right, set that up however you like. Like, that's roughly what we want on a table. Um, then it's I find playing in an event that you're TOing more of a nuisance yeah. than um, anything else because you end up losing time due to trying to get your admin done as well as getting around the tables, doing your rules inquiries um, and things like that. The other thing is if you're going to TO event, know your rules, be willing to come in to say at the start of it, if anyone has any queries, just ask. Yeah. So I'd rather it be cleared up in 10 seconds, then have people flicking through rule books trying to find where the obscure bit is that this is on. Yeah. Because sometimes rules are in weird places in bolt action, and yeah. Oh, well, still lacks an index, so... Um, yes. And then, as far as you get your general rule queries, and then it's just getting around, and like I'll take my good camera with me, my digital SLR, mm -hmm. and run around and take good photos of everyone's miniatures as the game's going on and when they get them in the terrain, they look great and they become the banners for the Tazbolt action page or for the next event that we come up is when you find one of those shots that just look brilliantly like there's a shot of um, one of Seb Donati's uh, uh, US Pathfinders that he had and he's actually holding a pigeon. He's got him holding a pigeon of all things. And it and, just makes you wonder why. Oh, like a uh, carrier pigeon? Yeah, like a carrier okay. pigeon. And it's like, okay, it's sweet. It's like stick him up in Bell Tower and where he had him in position and yeah, and you just get one of those photos looking through your terrain and, and it looks like you just make it black and white and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between yeah, right. a photo and that. So, and that's what I enjoy doing is seeing people's hobby going to such a level and like it's amazing how much the Tasmanian community down here goes, we're going to do our armies at this level, mm -hmm. the trains at this amazing level. And it's not just us here. They've got 
the Devonish boys and Damien Taylor down south as well. They're doing fantastic terrain kits. Um, in general, like some of their tables are just outstanding. Like Devonish boys have mastered the art of the teddy bear fur thing, which is something that I'll never do personally. Um, it just comes down to a storage issue. I've got uh, I've got a six by eight meter shed, and it's nearly three quarters full of terrain and bold action stuff. It's like, yeah, that was supposed to be for a car, and it's just got hobby in it. <laughs> hey, it's a, it's a hobby, right? Um, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. It's a lifestyle, really. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like that space uh, in their garages to work, to tinker on cars, and that's their hobby. I guess we can just fill it with ours. That sounds like a plan. Yep, yep. Well, all right. What are some of the things that you noticed um, as far as uh, big games on the day? I mean, you've mentioned a few big moments. Were there... Were there any trends that you noticed um, across the event, or I know you were also playing, uh, and I did forget that earlier because you took so many pictures. I forgot that you were actually playing, even though you said it. Um, what were some of the things that people were saying taking away? Was was there anyone who said, "Oh man, that that game or that nation or that army was was really dominant on the day"? Um, just from a TO's perspective. TO's perspective. Um... The final scoring, well, the, some of the interesting things that occurred was uh, multi-launchers firing smoke. Oh, okay. Um, had a Katusha that fired smoke for three games and literally just went, there's not enough terrain on this table. Let's make it all so you can't see one another. Wow. Again, not something you see every day. Uh, no, and how did and that just, play out? And, like, and the smoke isn't as good as it was in No, exactly, one. right? Um because your opponent gets to place that first template, but then you get to place the other two with a multi-launcher smoke six inches away. So mm-hmm. then suddenly, and suddenly he had, uh, and he went to the effort, he had the big billowing smoke clouds, and you go past the table and he'd be like, what's going on there? There'd be smoke all over the table and it was great and had the hollow rings of when units went into it. So you put a hollow ring down so that they were hiding in the smoke nice. and stuff like that. And it, it made a big difference in some of his games. Um, not in his favor all the time as tanks have discovered that they could get soft cover and be in the uh, smoke mm-hmm. <laughs> to drive through it. Uh, it was interesting. Um, some of the other like outstanding moments was um, pillow fights with the uh, guys that took big guns, just shooting at one another and not hitting anything in uh, my game. Cause I took uh, two generic platoons with the Norwegians. Mm-hmm. I took two snipers in, the list and i managed to hit once with two snipers in the whole game and failed to wound yep so it's just just one of those games that and it just happens bolt action does happen and it makes for some of those great outstanding moments mm-hmm. what i did enjoy was seeing everybody else post up their pictures that they took during the day and their little stories and i did the big photo dump all the good photos and people are writing their comments underneath it of what was going on and the bits where I was quickly taking a photo and having to run on instead of getting the chance to have a gas bag, which is like why I'm not a big fan of playing the Gumby list. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky that in game three, uh, my brother Dennis uh, managed to get off work and on time and he brought down his French. So the French made an appearance as the replacement Norwegians Brilliant. on the last game and that allowed me to get all the uh, admin stuff on done so then everybody could get away on time because, as I was saying, that we're a small island, but we are fairly large in size. So if most people drove, uh, well, we have about eight players drive for three and a half hours at least to come and play games. And that's not to mention um, Aaron that flew in. Uh, exactly. Overall, the scores if people are interested in that is that Aaron Russell won overall but we do three trophies we have a best allied best access and best minor power and they will get a trophy and one of the gift vouchers from war and peace games brilliant and the trophies are done by Biv at Knights of Dice and they're fantastic as I was saying I love talking Biv up because I ring him up go I want this and then he sends me a couple of pictures and then I get them in the mail and it's all nice, simple and easy. And it's one of those things that you 
don't have to stress about too much. No, exactly, right? And the quality uh, of them is fantastic when you actually get them. It's one thing to yes. get the pictures and to go, yeah, that looks cool. But then when they show up, you go, eh. But then to actually, every time Vid touches something, the man touch, turns to gold. It's amazing. Yes. And then, or he's sending you messages apologizing because it's like this one's off by like half a millimeter and you're like, I can't tell. No, you can't tell. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the overall results. Um, best Allied Army was Aaron Russell playing his U.S. paratroopers with the Locust. Awesome. And then the best Axis Army was Damien Taylor rolling the German mechanized list with the, so all the half tracks. With all the half tracks. Nice. Now, um, were those just the usual SDKF Z sevens, or oh, not sevens? Uh, what am I no, thinking? Two fifties. Yeah, the 250s, not the small one, the 12-man one. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You just don't see enough of those. Yeah, so he took, it was a very interesting list to look at on the board, and he ended up with um, some good results. He drew his first game and then won his two games after that. And, uh, yeah, he. but because of how I was saying about the bonus objectives, mm-hmm. he was, even though he only won two and... Drew the first. Mm-hmm. He was only four points behind the overall winner who won all their games. Oh, that's wild. So that's why those little bonus objectives that gets people moving and mm-hmm. thinking about, well, oh, no, I've had to pay a officer tax. Suddenly we don't see the 35-point inexperienced officer tax unless they're going to hide them all game because that guy's worth a whole victory point each way. Yeah, that's three victory points over the whole event. If you're <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're actually quote unquote trying to game the system to win overall, yes, um, that's yeah. You you want to be careful, don't you? Yeah, it makes that very very interesting. And then the uh, Italians, the Sicilian Italians, because I should just change it to uh, best Italian army mm-hmm. for the minor trophy because all the minor nations this time were Italians, mm-hmm. uh, was won by Mark Oakford, Sicilian ones. Um, and they were a great looking force. I mean, it's an old style of playing, of uh, painting, um, mm-hmm. and but he's just a great tactical commander, and he did very well. Uh, overall, the top three positions were separated by seven points. Oh, wow, that's close. Um, with Then there's a two-point drop to the rest of them. But uh, there was a lot of people that had scored over 40 points for the day. So when you're thinking that there's uh, a 20-point is a major win where you've won all your objectives and kept all your stuff alive. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was a, a good day all in all. Yeah, and it, I mean, when you have a point spread like that and you have those five points of additional scoring that you can achieve... Um, it really does help you differentiate who is the clear winner and who is in second, who's in third. It really makes your life a lot easier as a TO, doesn't it? Oh, well, I'm just looking at my school sheet now. And the, at the end of the day, um, we've got I've got three people that ended up on the exact same points. Yeah. But none of those are in the um, top three. Mm-hmm. And... Also, when you split them down into allies, axis, and minor, then none of them are in the same area either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's so, the, I mean, that's the devil when in the details when you're start when you're talking about a three game event. What is it? Nine games is what you actually need to properly spread out a pack. Um, theory was it uh, statistics wise could be eight, but it's never not even. I mean, six helps, but three yes. you really you really do need to be careful. Otherwise, you end up. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's very easy to end up with everyone on the same score and the same points at the end of the day. And if you're doing the old, um, three, two, one scoring system, three for a win, two for a loss, two for a draw, one for a loss sort of thing, then uh, it doesn't add up at all. Um, no, exactly right. and then on top of that, with the cost of war with whoever's, um, lost the most units during the day, um, that's also the other end of day buy breaker. So if I end up with two people that have managed to absolutely blitz their games and ended up with um, 60 points each, so they've won all their games with all the side objectives, 
and then I'll split it by the cost of war. So whoever ended up with more lives lost on the day comes second. Yeah, there you go. And that'll give you a nice clear pack as well. Yes. Nice. Well, Actor, thank you so much for coming on to talk today, man. I mean, I know that, you know, there was a time and a place where I actually got complaint messages uh, from podcasting about events and talking about places and play styles and everything else um, because it was just the thing that we did as bolt action podcasters all the time. But it's been a while, right? And I figure it's okay to, uh, to go back to the well. Uh, and it is lovely to hear uh, hobby happening, people playing games, and just uh, you know, a bolt action community that has run nonstop throughout is, is just really encouraging and gives us all hope, right? Oh, yeah. It's, there is light at the end of the tunnel, everyone. Like, I mean, it's going to be hard for the rest of the world's communities to get past this but we are slowly getting on top of things it might be another 18 months yet but i can't not see um bold action or gaming in general going back we'll eventually end up back where we were yeah. all jammed into a hall all sweating with no aircon on <laughs> and no masks you've and been everyone... to cancon before then have you yeah <laughs> uh, the old tin shed nothing like sweating with Hundreds of other gamers. I never thought I'd miss it, right? No, no. And the same as that repungent smell. Oh. Genuine. It's been years since I've seen the Three Wolf Moon t-shirt in the wild. <laughs> One of these days, it'll come back. But uh, seriously, man, Actar, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anyone else you wanted to thank? Because I know you had a lot of helpers and a lot of sponsors and everything else. Um and man, oh, I, I, one yeah. does not just run these things by oneself, right? No, no, it's it's a serious um, community event, and it's like well, our next one, even though we normally do hold Operation Sudlik later in the year during mm -hmm. August, um, some fool called Hari Turner's doing uh, something up at the. Tank Museum. Never heard of them. Never yeah. heard of this event either. No, seriously though, no, guys, yeah. if you haven't looked up Hari's event on the Bolt Action Australia page, look it up. It looks amazing at the Tank Museum. Yeah. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be sweet. Uh, his dates are falling on our traditional dates, so we'll be pushing ours into September instead mm -hmm. um, just to prevent any clashing because we, well, we want everyone to be able to go to either event as they can. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, at the moment, we'll be sometime in September for Sudlicht. Uh, as for thanking people, well, I couldn't do it without, like, Dad, Ben, Les, um, the, the guys that were here packing everything into cars, stacking tabletops into backs of utes, getting it all out one night and then packing it all up after playing mm -hmm. three games of the day. That's just, they're big days, but they are worth it. Definitely, man. As I said, one one person cannot do it, and it just it takes a group, and uh, especially uh, it, it, the people who stick around after playing three games, uh, especially at a mentally taxing game like Bolt Action, you, just because you're there are there isn't that you go I go I'm gonna go sit down for ten minutes and not do anything. It is constantly on the go. You're constantly thinking, um, and to have uh, after three games of that, it can you can be pretty tired, uh, and then to actually yeah. help pack up is you know. Hero yeah, a special, endeavor. A special mention has to go to um, Damien Taylor, who brought up his table to show it off, his uh, city room one. Mm -hmm. So we supplied nine of the tables for the day, and um, he brought his up from down at Kingston, which is about another 45 minutes south of Hobart. Mm -hmm. So he'd been come in, set up his table, packed it up, and then drove home. He's dedicated to the cause. If anyone wants to see what you can achieve with the Knights of Dice Tabula Rasa range, check that table out. Awesome. It's what he's done with the even the offcuts he's made it. It's all pretty much nearly ninety percent Knights of Dice terrain sets. So yeah, it's one to go have a look at. Definitely. Definitely. Well again, thank you so much for coming on, Actar. If you have any questions uh, for Actar about his event, guys, if you haven't looked on the Bolt Action Australia New Zealand page, I highly recommend you go on. Um, now, you're going to have to help me out with the spelling on this because uh, Camp Liner is something that is not <laughs> not English. Um, no, no, it's not English. It's uh, Norwegian for battle lines or Swedish for battle lines. Um, used to work with a lot of Swedes, and it was just something funny that's popped into my head. Yeah. 
Um, but if you go to the Bolt Action Australia New Zealand page and type in Operation C A M, no, not C K. Oh, sorry, did I say Jesus? I looked yeah, at the K and I said C. I've been teaching spelling all week. Does it show? Sorry, K A M P L I N J E R. Um, you will see uh, some awesome posts from Actar, and you get to see all the pictures. You get to see the video of him walking around the hall. Yeah, uh, that's game another play. shout out I have to do too. I forgot all about. Oh uh, yeah, go ahead. one of the guys that didn't attend, didn't, didn't manage to attend the event, Chris Rain, because um, he was busy. He had other commitments on. He put together all of the live stream videos and all of the photos and made it into that 20 minute montage of stuff that's on his YouTube channel. So good. Um, so yeah, it's great to see somebody else, even though they weren't part of the event on the day, still contributing to the greater community. That's it, man. And allowing the rest of us to, uh, to, to be able to experience that. Um, what YouTube channel is that? So people can find that. Uh, I think it's Oakley's O A K L E Y S. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll send you a link in on cast dice, mate. We'll, we'll do it that way. And I'll send uh, it and I'll post it through our Facebook page. So yeah, if you are, look, if you want to see the YouTube clip, look at the cast dice Facebook page and it will be posted on there amongst one or two memes from gaming. But, um, <laughs> guys, I, I did have a lot of requests for topics recently. A lot of people have been giving me ideas for the show. Thank you to everyone that's reached out. We really appreciate it. Um, I am getting through those, uh, and this was a request. Uh, to, so, uh, again, please keep sending those ideas because uh, these are the kinds of episodes that I want to send for you that you want to hear. Um, but guys, if you want to message me about either this or anything else, uh, you can reach me through Cast Dice on Facebook. That's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Uh, if you message the page, there is only one person who answers. Me. Hi, my name's Brad. Uh, and you're guaranteed a response. Uh, it may not be within the first 10 minutes, uh, depending on what time zone you're in. We are in Australia, and I do sleep occasionally. But uh, you are guaranteed to reply at one time or another. Uh, Actar, if you if people want to reach you, they can find you on the Australia New Zealand page slash lots of other page. Just look for the cute fuzzy, or I guess not fuzzy, puffy green giraffe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that that's about it. Or the um, democratically elected Republic of Players. That's right. Which is an and excellent remember, page for terrain if you have not looked. Yeah, remember it's derp for acronym, and um, mm-hmm. it's not democracy. There's only one dictator in charge, and that's the giraffe. <laughs> Oh, man. I can I never get tired of the giraffe. On that note, uh, as our good buddy Casey always says, uh, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Guys, stay safe out there. Good night. I'm gonna take